Here we are, ladies and gentlemen. We are live tonight. That's right, offside, chilling with you while the Leaf game is on. Many a topics to get through. You can watch the scrolling ticker down at the bottom here on StreamYard to see what we're going to have. Mike Camito will join us in a little bit. So, Josh, tip of the cap to the Toronto Blue Jays. Sad the fact that they did not win when they needed to win this season. Uh, they won you know, in the last game. They won a lot in September. They won a lot towards the end of the season. But when it mattered the most, when they needed to pick up those victories, they didn't, and it cost them in the end. Yeah, it's kind of a shame you play 162 games and then it comes down to another team winning or losing, which is always which is never fun. Um, the Jays had to win their last three games of the season to even have a chance, which they did. And then, you know, I just kind of, you know, it's kind of funny. It comes down to two, a, a, a former Montreal team in the uh, the Nationals and a future Montreal team in the Tampa Bay Rays kind of screwing the Jays out of a playoff spot. So many people say it was those teams fault, but at the end of the day, all it comes down to is you blow a lead at the, you know, bottom of the ninth in July against the Orioles or something like that. And then you're, the Jays are playing game 163 today. So um, they had a great season though. Hopefully they can bring back a majority of this team. Most importantly, Robbie Ray, who is probably going to win the Cy Young. Hopefully that, you know, game he had where he kind of uh, got blown up a little bit against the Yankees. I think he went Homer, Homer, walk Homer. Isn't his last game in the Blue Jays jersey. So all, all the best. Vladdy had a had a fantastic season. You know, Ryu had his ups and downs, but when it mattered yesterday, he pitched a gem of a game. We can only hope that Manoa keeps evolving as he has. And let's see what Barrios can bring next season, along with all the other young stars. This team definitely has a bright future. You know what? I'm pretty excited for what they do have and what they're able to bring for uh, the Blue Jays. And I look at the uh, the starting rotation. If you had the same starting rotation at the beginning of the season that you did to close the season, I think there would be a lot of different things as well for this yeah. team. Uh, you look at Rourke and those kind of things at the beginning, and you look now and you're like, okay, Manoa, Barrios. You look at uh, Robbie Ray, obviously, and Ryu. You look at these guys and you're like, ah. If we had this, we would have been so much better. But now the Blue Jays know what they have. And now they're going to start talking about stretching out Nate Pearson. And I lost my co-host there, but don't worry. We'll still roll with the Blue Jays talk, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's it's never fun when you're live. Things can go crazy. But, hey, let's keep it rolling having some fun here tonight. So we'll get Josh back up in the stream here in a second. But, yeah, just close around with the Blue Jays there right quick, Josh. Next season is going to be a lot better for, uh, I believe, the Toronto Blue Jays. I think they know what they have. I was talking about their, the fact they want to stretch out Nate Pearson and, uh, you know, maybe get him into the starting rotation. But that's a, you know, talk for February right now. We're just going to enjoy the fact they had a great season and uh, we'll see what happens from there. Yeah, I'm excited to see him back. Only 162 days until pitchers and catchers report. So countdown's on. But you know what the end of the Blue Jays season means? It's the start of the leap season, which is a bright spot for everybody. It definitely is. And you know what's crazy? We have to talk about what went down on the weekend. And apparently, Robin Leonard has some big brass ones on him. Doesn't care what anybody thinks. Uh, basically laid it out there for everybody to see and talk. I mean, he walked back a little bit of some things that he said. And I think that was mainly because of who he implicated. Um, you know, I don't think he really worried about the teams as a whole. But when it came down to individual names, I think it was a problem. Uh, not only for him, but I think for others uh, around this situation. But you see now many past guys coming out and saying, hey, either I had a good experience or a bad experience. 
um, support on both sides of things. No one's shaming Robin Leonard for speaking his truth, but it's uh, it's something that if you listen to the Thirty One Thoughts podcast from today, that you know is not going to be going away anytime soon. I'm wondering for you, Josh. You look at this and you look at the way it comes out, and we all know this happens not just in the NHL but across sports. And across the the healthcare spectrum in general, if you walk into a walk-in clinic, give them three sentences of what's wrong, you're walking out with a bottle of something to cure your ailment because that's just the easiest way to deal with it. Uh, Whether it be stress, anxiety, sleep, it doesn't matter. There's a pill to fit your fancy wherever it is. Now, should it be always done under a doctor's supervision? Of course. But we all know the same thing I just said, like walking through a walk-in clinic. You know, you get the pills and you're at your own mercy to take them or deal with them and fight your demons. I'm wondering for you, you look at the situation and you say, okay, is this the beginning, the end, or is this a big can of worms that Leonard just flopped out there and now we're going to be dealing with this for a while? Um, it, I think it depends how his meeting with the NHL went and how future meetings go. I know he met with the PA either yesterday or today and he said that meeting was good. He still has to meet with the actual NHL which I'm sure will include Gary Bettman, Bill Daly, and maybe a couple other people. Um, but a similar, not similar, but, you know, along the same lines, Akeem Aliou had a meeting with the NHL two years ago, and they said they would investigate uh, into what happened with him. And he's still waiting to hear what they found in that investigation. And that was two years ago. So uh, I don't think we're going to hear too much more coming out of this which is unfortunate. You know, Robin Leonard said, I'm, you know, I'm going to release a story every day, you know, with proof from me and my teammates until the NHL deals with this. Well, he hasn't released anything else yet. The NHL may have told him, Hey, shut up. We'll deal with it internally. And sometimes dealing with it internally isn't the best solution because there's no accountability. Right. Uh, He walked back his comments against uh, Alain Vigneault, which it sounds like he just kind of got mis- mixed up in what he was saying. Uh, he meant to just say that he treated his players pretty much like shit. He wasn't yeah. handing, out, handing out pills. And you know what? Sometimes that happens. You do mix up your words. But for the people giving out pills without prescriptions, um, I think one of the players he named was Nolan Patrick. He was mentioning Jack Eichel a couple times. So, Yo, what I thought this whole thing started was him defending Jack Eichel. Yeah. And, and, and against the favors, not allowing him to have a surgery, and then not trading him. And by the way, I just want to say my hot take about uh, Jack Eichel sitting on ice for a year and a half. I don't want to say it's looking really good because that sounds pretty bad because you don't want anything bad to happen to a player, but it's uh, starting to look more and more to be coming to fruition than any of us ever thought it would. Yeah. You know, he, the amount of tweets he put out this weekend, it wasn't, you know, he put out, he didn't put out a lot of tweets, but the tweets he put out had a lot in them. So I'm sure the NHL is going to want to look at this and, more so the PA will want to look at this than the actual NHL because now the NHL has to open an investigation and we all know how they like doing their investigations, which they, they hate doing them. Like to take a look at the big scandals they've had in the league. They quickly and very silently dealt with the Evander Kane investigation. They quickly and very silently dealt with the Blackhawks investigation. If there even was one, we haven't heard nothing. We haven't heard anything from the investigation into, uh, what uh, Akeem Aliou was, you know, saying. So maybe the best thing that Leonard did was get this all out in the open. So people start asking questions, but we'll see what's going on. And hopefully we get an answer and hopefully we get some solutions because what's going on there is not right. No, it definitely isn't. I mean, like I said earlier, there's more guys coming forward. You got Carcillo out there. Uh, Dale Weiss is out there. 
Um, then you have Matthew Barnaby on the other side of things saying, you know, nothing was ever given to him that he wasn't, you know, supposed to take. And he was always treated great by the trainers and things like that. Uh, but you hear Elliot Freeman talk about, uh, you know, one of the trainers he spoke with that said, you know, his organization has come a long way removing themselves from that situation. So it definitely goes on. We all know it does. There's no hiding it under the rug. This thing happens. But to hear that it happened to this degree and almost kind of numbed out Nolan Patrick, and I think that's what Robin Leonard was kind of getting at, I think we're going to see a lot more of this. And I do think the NHL wants him to shut the hell up. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you're speaking your truth, you don't shut the hell up. You know, and Gary Bettman was on uh, Merrick's show today talking, oh, you know, players walk around with my cell phone number in their pocket. Who is calling their boss? Like no. the boss of all bosses and say, hey, by the way, Philly's giving out pain pills or by the way, uh, you know, X is on Ambien and this is a problem here and there and everywhere around the league. No players calling that. And here's the thing too. You hear so much about players that have a problem with this crap, but they won't say anything. You know, they all, you hear today, and again, I keep referencing this, but this is the only source that's out there right now talking about this reputably, American Elliot Friedman. But you you talk about this and they say, oh, all these players feel the exact same way about the Eichel situation, about, you know, the pill situation, but nobody wants to say anything. Well, good on Leonard for flopping his nuts out there and saying, hey, mm-hmm. they're on the goddamn table. This is what it is. This is ridiculous. He has to walk some things back, obviously, because when you start naming names, it implicates people, and then you have to show a whole bunch more proof. And like yeah. you said, I don't think that was his intention, but what I what he wants to do is shed light on the situation, which I think he's now done, and he's opened that can of worms, and there's no putting that back in the box. So whether he talks to the PA, whether he talks to the NHL, he's not going anywhere, but I guarantee you he's ruffled a whole hell of a lot of feathers, not only within his brethren of the NHL PA – but also with the Philadelphia Flyers, Vegas Golden Knights, and you know it's it's only going to get worse from there. But for Robin Leonard to do this, I hope some other players in the NHL that have a problem and a voice step forward and say, "Yeah, no, we're with Leonard on this. He's not alone." Because right now he's a he's a lone mercenary on this, and we all know there's other guys chatting about it, but they're not saying nothing. Yeah, you'll probably see some former players speak up, but I would be shocked if you see any current players speak up because they just don't want to be grow a set. They don't, they don't want to and, and defend what's going on, you know, yeah. save somebody who's going to come into the league five to 10 years from now, save a person from this crap that's going on. I speak from a little bit of experience watching my mother go through pain pills. Me and her don't talk anymore, mm-hmm. but I watched it firsthand what it does to a person when it's not taken the right way and done the right way. So I could see how a person could spiral pretty far to yeah. the point where they're passing out and ODing on pain pills. So I've seen it. So this one hits home a little bit for me. And I think it's just mm-hmm. so asinine that people don't want to take a stand and be like, Hey, we need to change the way things are done, you know? Yeah, and, sure. and for the fact that, uh, you know, um, Crosby went out and got that treatment for his concussions yeah, and I forget who it was who went out and got the same kind of treatment, but then they were blacklisted from the NHL. It was a oh, Chicago Blackhawks player. Yeah. Um, um, uh, but anyways, you know who I'm talking about, and everybody listening to this probably has read the same article within the past 24 hours. But he was blacklisted from the NHL because it wasn't something that was approved. It wasn't the right treatment. It wasn't what was given to him. It wasn't approved by the team, which I think is just just stupid. But anyways, I digress. We'll move forward on this. I just think it's really really. Good of Robin Leonard to do this. 
and I think more people should take a stand for what they believe in, what they need to stand up for. But it doesn't seem like the NHL Players Association or players want to do that, like you said. I think they rather just collect their check and keep their head down and keep it moving, sir. I agree. I'm just trying to find that guy's name now because it's bugging me. Uh, Steve Monitor. Yes, that was it. It came to me in a blinding flash. Yeah, because I, I read it from Daniel Carcillo. Yeah, he's, he's uh, he has some good tweets sometimes. I don't know if I like the guy, but he has some good tweets sometimes. Yeah, well, he's hot and cold, man. You got to get, 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 a, get a pick through the haystack, man. But you know what? Let's flip this around. Obviously, we are a Leaf show. We're chit-chatting about a bunch of other stuff. The Toronto Maple Leafs All or Nothing series came out. I'll be the first to admit I haven't finished it yet. Oh, I so won't spoil I, it for you then. I am. I don't know how it ends. I don't know how the season ends. I'm really hanging on the edge of my seat, but I really hope these guys pull through for me in the end. But um, what I've seen so far, I want to ask you: Has it changed your opinion on Kyle Dubas and Mr. Sheldon Keith? Because going into this, before this happened, the extension to Sheldon Keith came down the same day the documentary dropped coincidentally mm-hmm. and you know you look at that and you say okay well what did he i see it on twitter i see it everywhere what did he do to, do to deserve that he didn't win the playoffs he hasn't done much etc cetera, etc cetera. then you watch this documentary and you say what josh first off i want to address the people saying um keith doesn't deserve this extension he hasn't had an actual full nhl season with a training camp that wasn't affected by a pandemic so Give your head a shake and fix your opinion because you're just trying to get a good coach out of there. Anyone that has seen this documentary can see that. Um, we'll start with Sheldon Keefe. This guy cares about the team. He's not the soft coach people think they are. He's a player's coach, but if he doesn't want to give you something, he won't. Um, you can take a look at the conversations he has with, you know, he has one with Matthews that got pretty heated. He has one with, um, oh, what was his name? Um you know, he has talks with Jason Spezza about it. Even, you know, some conversation with Jumbo Joe, and we'll get to him later, I think, as well. And who's the guy they waived? Um, VC. Uh, VC, yeah, he had one with VC where he pretty much told him, you're, well, he didn't pretty much tell him, he did tell him, your game's vanilla, we're not liking what we're seeing. So, you know, Sheldon Keefe, he, you can tell he cares. He's really pumped up before every game. When he sends a message, it seemed like the players were listening. At the start of the season, it, it, he wasn't happy. And he wasn't happy at the end either because he was looking for a team with Stanley Cup habits and he wasn't getting that from this team. uh, Numerous times throughout the documentary, he calls them a fragile group. And when a hockey guy or a hockey team uses the word fragile, you're almost like, oh, like what's wrong? And I'm sure there's other stuff behind the scenes that didn't make it into the documentary that would have given us more insight to what he meant by that. But overall, I thought this documentary did a really good job of taking us behind the scenes and giving us access to what we haven't seen from a team that doesn't really let much slip. Um, I, I didn't think we would see as much from Dubas and Keefe as we would the players. I was a little bit surprised that the main, you know, if we, if you were to have main characters, you would say, oh, it was Sheldon Keefe and Kyle Dubas are your main characters, which surprised me a little bit, but kind of made sense by the way they were approaching it afterwards. I thought it would follow around kind of Matthews and Marner, and, you know, the top four, but nope, they just kind of got features. Each episode was focused around what uh, Keefe and Dubas wanted as a vision for this team. And they went with that. They showed you the meetings. They showed you the planning. They showed you the, how they're delivering their message to the team. And they showed you the breakdown of the team after game seven, which was 
you know, kind of gave you an insight to the whole narrative that this team doesn't care. Well, you go and watch the last five minutes of that documentary and then come back and tell me that team doesn't care. That's what gave my opinion. That's what changed my opinion the most is seeing the locker room after that game seven loss because you had uh, Matthews and Marner and Campbell and just their reactions. You're like, oh my God, this team does care. And then you had Dubas coming down and the conversations he had with the guys just, you, you know, that really switched my opinion of what this team um, what winning meant to this team and how much they do actually care. No, well, from what I've seen so far, and I know call me silly, but you know, with two young children and work and the whole nine should bangles watching a five hour sit down is not on my agenda. The but, trick um, is to stay up till 3 a.m. and then regret <laughs> doing it when you get to work at seven the next morning. Yeah, there's there's no staying up till 3 a.m. and getting to work for her <laughs> for 5 30 a.m. That don't work, but um. Now, with what I've seen so far, you know, I already like Keith and Dubas. I've been on that record. What you said earlier, we can go back to many of shows that we've done. I've said the same thing. Give this guy a full training camp. Give him a full season. I said that about Dubas as well. It hasn't happened. There's always been a dark cloud, a problem, an issue, a pandemic, whatever you want to put it in. There's been something around these guys. But watching the documentary so far, I'm seeing all of the little things that he wants done, which is Sheldon Keefe, and then Dubas obviously backing him up and making those corresponding moves. So the two of them are working, you know, in symmetry to make sure this thing freaking works. But it just can't get the message across. And I like the fact that he stormed up to Dubas' office and said, hey, what Matthew said in the media pissed me off because all of us shrug it off. Like, oh, mm-hmm. nothing, whatever. You know, that's just the way it is. But now you see the other side of it. Like, hey, that bothered Keefe because he doesn't want that brought out there that he's game planning wrong or doing things wrong. He runs the team, not Matthews. doesn't matter who you are. And I like that. I like what I've seen so far. I'm going to finish it, ladies and gentlemen, and we'll have a full-on breakdown. But, yeah, no, the thoughts for me, it didn't change my opinion. It just reinforced what I already knew and what I already felt. And now I think that they are ready to take the step this year. And I really freaking hope they do, for God's sakes, just so everybody can do this for a little bit because it really needs to happen. And you know what it did? I wasn't like I, I'm not watching the game right now. I didn't watch the last preseason game even either, and I recorded the blue and white game, but like I don't know if I'll watch it to be honest, um, because I wasn't excited. And I'm going to the game tomorrow. I'll watch the preseason game after that, and I will be watching every regular season game with excitement and interest. I wasn't excited before I watched this documentary. I was like, here we go again. I got to cheer for this team. I got to you know. I was going to take kind of a season off and follow another team as close as I did the Leafs last year. Like I was maybe going to follow the Kraken and cause I figured that would be fun. But after watching this documentary, I'm, I'm all back in now. I'm, I'm ready. I'm behind this team. I know they care. This is going to be a great season to be a Leafs fan a great season to play for the Leafs. So I'm back on Leafs bandwagon, Leafs nation, whatever the hell we're calling it. Let's go. I never threw out my Jersey though. So you can't say I left. So you all or nothing. You're on the all side now. We'll uh, we'll see what happens at the end. <laughs> all right. Well, let's keep it rolling here with the Leafs train. So obviously training camp's going on. There's some battles happening. Take tonight out of the equation because I know he's not having a great game. But there's two players on PTOs right now with the Toronto Maple Leafs, Nikita Gusev and Josh Hosang. Um, quickly, this one's an easy one. Who do you take right now? Uh, Hosang because I didn't even know Gusev had been playing games. I didn't notice him. I thought he was a ghost. Listen, if you uh, watch my little video that I put out on the weekend, I said the same thing. I said, Hosang should do well. 
Uh, I said Gabriel should be up on spot duty. And then I said Gusev shouldn't be. Then I was quickly reminded in the blue and white game that he went bar down twice on the power play and a glorified scrimmage is what I called it. Mm -hmm. So I I don't know. I think Nikita Gusev, if he wants to stick around with the Toronto Maple Leafs, you give him a opportunity to play with the Marlies and bring his game along. That's what I think you do there. Yeah. And, you know, same thing with Josh Hosang. You're going to have to bring him along with the Marlies. He's got some defensive deficiencies that he needs to fix. And those things will need to rear their head down the Marlies and hopefully get fixed and be brought up. Those two players definitely can be a part of the Leafs organization. Out of the gate, I do not think so. But I do think both of them have a spot somewhere with this Leafs team, especially when you need depth. Those are two guys who can definitely play a role when you need depth players to step up. And Hosang has a skill, can play in your top six. Gusev can play in your top nine. So those aren't bad things to have within your organization. They were looking for a lot of those last year. So if you can get them both at league minute 750K, I'm all in. Neither of them should be a regular in the lineup right now. Maybe no. Hosang. Gusev should just go be a Marley for a little bit, grow his game, get better. Watching him, he needs more confidence. I don't think he's confident in what he's doing. I don't think that he likes he's on a PTO. I don't think that he likes at the end of this. The Leafs could just say, okay, bye. And then he doesn't have a he doesn't have a paycheck. Um, I think that is in his head a little bit. Maybe if he can bang one here, bang one in here, bang one in there, one goes off his ass, one goes off his skates, then he gets a little bit going. Maybe he gets an AHL only contract for this year, although he probably only signs for a two-way deal. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But it'd be once he starts getting some production, I think you'll see this guy kind of explode a little bit. Josh Hosang is just happy to have the opportunity. We've heard his press conferences. He said he will do anything. Guy or guy said he would go sharpen skates with the Growlers if he had to. So um, he's willing to work for it. I also expect him to start with the Marlies, but I wouldn't be surprised if in the first 15, 20 games, we see him up for a, you know, three, four or five game stint um, to, uh, if the Leafs start slow and start stale, they might bring in Hosang just to have it what it is. The only thing with Hosang is, man, is he not the best in his defensive zone? Like he that's what I mean. Defensive deficiencies, man. Go down yeah. to the Marlies and get those fixed. You can't fix NHL defense qualities in the AHL though. So it's going to be interesting to see how his game develops throughout the year. I think he does play NHL games. I think we do see him near the end of the season as he tries to make kind of a playoff push, uh, playoff roster push. But if he's sending saucer passes up the middle from his own zone, then you can't be doing that in the playoffs. The thing with the Leafs is this year is every game is a playoff game. You got to play every game like it's a playoff game, which is why I think you see Curtis Gabriel in most of these games. I think Curtis Gabriel is going to be spot duty myself. I think when you need to be heavier and leaning on your opponent more, or there's guys in the lineup that you know take liberties against uh, Austin Matthews, high Ben Sherratt from Montreal. I think Curtis Gabriel will be in those games to uh, set that tone and be like, mm-mm-mm. Well, that's going to have Wayne Simmons, though. Yeah, but you know what? Call me a cynic. Call me whatever you want. When he got that wrist injury and he came back, he wasn't the same guy. You know, maybe maybe with time off and healing up and, and feeling 100%, and maybe he gets that nasty snarl back, but – he wasn't the same snarl guy. He looked like he got pushed around in that Montreal series, and that's just my opinion. But Leafs, uh, play, Leafs play the Habs in the home opener, right? They do, they do. 
Okay, so Ben Sherratt takes a cross check onto Austin Matthews' back. All Matthews has to do to set the tone for the season is turn around and just clock him right in the jaw. Nobody would touch him the rest of the season. Matthews is a big boy. He's got to stand up for himself at least once this year. Oh, hey, Crosby had to do it. Yeah, and nobody oh. touches Crosby anymore. McDavid is going through the same thing as well. All McDavid's got it. I don't care. Make it dirty. Slash him right in the chin. Just yeah. say, hey, you're not getting away with that. No more. No more, no more. Well, another uh, couple defensemen here for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Timothy Lilligren, looking good by my standards. I think that's a guy that can definitely make the Toronto Maple Leafs roster out of this camp, uh, probably as the seventh or eighth defenseman. And then uh, Travis Dermott. I don't think his spot's safe, buddy. So what do you think of Lily and, and Dermott? I think Dermott gets it because of experience, and Dermott's going to play himself out of it by game 20, and in comes Lilligren, and they don't look back. I, I'm kind of feeling that real, you know, a Sandy Lilligren bottom pair. They played together a lot, so they know each other, know each other's tendencies and things like that. So we'll see what goes there. What what they might be doing there is you play Dermot, you make him look good. Maybe you give him, you pair him against the other team's third and fourth line, so he's not against scoring lines. And you hype him up, make his stats look good. And then the trade deadline, you flip him for some assets because you do need some more draft picks. Uh, the cupboard's looking a little empty. And then that that's when Lilligren takes over. I could see them doing that too. So I wouldn't be surprised if Dermot's held on to a little bit longer. Um, but also, can you afford to trade uh, NHL caliber yeah. defenseman in Travis Dermot in case there's an injury? Because you don't really have too many up-and-comers behind him. Like, the fallback right now is Lilligren. Who you got after that? Like, yeah, it's kind of a... Well, you got some guys that are that are percolating, but nobody who's actually ready to step in. They haven't played. You haven't played NHL games. Lilligren's played what ten? Yeah. You know what? This is the year, though, right? Like I told you before with Lilligren, this is the year. It's either you know make it or cut bait, and Mm -hmm. he's probably going to want out. So we'll see what happens there. For me, there has to be a trade. This this roster has too many forwards, uh, too many NHL ready players. Peering ball. Yeah, Kerfoot, Mikheyev. There's so many players that the Leafs have, and if they bring in Gusev and Hosang, Bunting, you, you go down this list of guys that are supposed to be in the top nine. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but you only have nine players, and I think most of them are already penciled in. So you really only have two spots for nine guys. So for me, it's like, what are you doing here? So I, I definitely think there's a trade coming for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, and you're probably looking at Pierre Engvall on his way out. He's an RFA at the end of next year, which uh, at the end of this year, sorry, which some teams might not like, but also some teams like that because they have control. He's only making 1.25, which is a lot for what he brings, but in the overall scheme of things, it's not a lot for what he could possibly bring. I don't see them getting rid of Kerfoot because he is an option on the left wing as well. If he has to play it and they're kind of light on the left wing, Mikheyev, they didn't trade him in this off season. And I think they have big, a big vision of what he can bring this year. He's also kind of a steal at 1.6. So I like what they do there on defense. You're not really seeing any trades. They got a couple guys on PTOs that that's easy to cut bait on anyway. Um, You know, and then in the minors, do you trade a guy like SDA? Do you trade a a guy like Amirov? Probably not because these guys are coming up. You got Alex Steves, who's really shown that he can bring it. You want to keep him. I think you kind of let these contracts how they are. McKayev's going into UFA next year. Andre Koss, is he going to hang around? He's an RFA next year, or Engvall's RFA, and then Jason Spets is a UFA. So a lot of these guys are on their way out anyway with all the forwards, but going into this season, probably one, maybe two trades. One of them will be a minor league deal. One of them is probably Pierre Engvall on the way out. 
I'd like see you later, I guess. But yeah, like you said, we can't keep all these guys in. But, but what do you get for a guy like Peter Engvall? A third? A fourth? Uh, you know what? The Whatever the market bears, I think at this point, I think maybe maybe you look for a prospect that hasn't hit and you say, you know, with our system, we can take also, money and build them up. Sorry to interrupt. The Leafs were one of few teams, if the only team last year, to be really hurt by waivers. They lost two goalies on waivers. Having this many forwards is waiver protection. I don't know who's exempt. I, a waiver is exempt. I don't know who has to go on waivers. I don't know have that in front of me. But you are going to have to send some guys down. And so by putting all these guys on waivers all at once, you're protecting certain players because it's like, oh, I'm going to take this guy. I can't take that guy. You, you know what I mean? So you're, you're kind of protecting some players. You're giving yourself buffer. You're giving yourself space. Um, you're, you're always going to want to have more than less. So by stocking up on all these forwards, by stocking up on all these defensemen, by stocking up on all these goalies in some teams' case, I'm just talking about every team here, it's protection. It's insurance. It's that extra layer. So if you lose a guy on waivers, let's say they lose Engvall, okay, so who's your fallback? Well, you got a bunch of guys in the minors who can come in and play a role that Engvall was playing, either equal to or greater than what Engvall was bringing. Um, is it Mikheyev that you lose? Then you have someone who's ready to come up. Is it, you know, I, I, other guys that they may trade? You, you don't know, right? So um, they have a plan here. I don't think we'll quite know what it is until it happens. And when we look back on it, we'll say, oh, that was a great plan. Well done. Dubas is, from this documentary, you can tell Dubas isn't dumb. He's always thinking one step ahead. No, I, he's always got a plan. There's a, there's a plan, you know, throughout the entire thing for what's happening and what's about to happen. So hopefully there is something we don't see coming. And that's the best thing about Kyle Dubas. Every single move that he's made for Toronto Maple Leafs has been a move that we have not expected. Jake Muzzin, Jack Campbell. Not trading for Taylor Hall. Not trading for Taylor Hall. You know, obviously the Nick Foligno one. But I mean, there's all kinds of different things that he's done that we have not expected him to do. So, sorry, did you have you seen the episode where they trade? No. Oh, okay. No. Watch, watch Shanahan when you. Oh my God, did you I see know. the one? Did you see the one where they wave VC? Yes, I did. Yeah, I was di- I was dying laughing when uh, Dubas told Shanahan that he big claimed. He was like, "Oh, really? Oh well," and then just walked out. <laughs> he's like, "Oh, really? By who?" He's like, "Vancouver." Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. We'll see see you later then. Yeah. (laughs) Jesus Murphy. Yeah. So, I mean, I look at this roster and I say, well, you you already know your mainstays on this one. For me, I really think that Michael Bunting is going to kick Ilya Mikheyev off that second line. So many people are excited for Mikheyev. Oh, his speed, his speed. It's all great to have all that speed, but if you're not doing anything with it, you know, he is penalty killing. Everybody's lauding him for the penalty kill. Hi, guys. We were 24th in the league last year on the penalty kill. So he can have all the speed. He can keep up with McDavid all you want. But if you're not doing the right things and putting the puck in the net or defending properly, then you're not helping the, the penalty kill. But, hey, let's uh, pause for the cause here because the one and only Mike Camito is about to join us, uh, the author of Hockey 365, the second period more daily stories from the ice. Let's bring them on. Hey, guys. Hey. He is. What's going on, Mr. Mike Camito? Oh, you know, not too much. Hang on. Let me let me do this. We're not worthy <laughs> now. 
I heard you on the uh, the old Steve Dangle podcast. Look at you go. Yeah, that was exciting. That was a that was a fun one to connect with those guys finally and uh, and chat about the book a bit. Yeah, yeah no, I, I've heard them bring you up numerous times. Obviously, everybody references your tweets. So, <laughs> well, I appreciate it. All every every reference counts, uh, and it's the reason why uh, why we have two books to talk about now, right? So, well, that's it. Hey, and more bedtime stories from this beauty right here. Yeah. So oh, I brought mine in. <laughs> what do you think i got up and went and got when you were on your rant it just uh, left me on my own i was like i gotta fill time here i can only talk about Micaiah for so long so mike want to have you on obviously the second book is is out now uh you know everybody wants to have it and read it um for you the first book we talked about you know was a process um it was fun what got the juices flowing to get the second book you know going and now Obviously, I heard what you said about changing the title from the of the first book as well to the first period and the second period. So obviously, I have an OG copy, so that's going to be worth more when you when you hit it big. Yeah. <laughs> but what got the juices flowing? Not only to write the second book, but then to look at it and say, "Hey, I can break this into periods and make this into some sort of you know series." Really. Yeah. So I mean, it's 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 funny, I guess, because like there was a silver lining to come out of the the, the NHL shutdown in the first. Um, you know, season of the pandemic, um, you know, at the time I was writing quite heavily for the LA Kings and locally for the Sudbury Wolves and with everything kind of being put on hiatus from March. Uh, obviously, we know the NHL season resumed in August, but at the time we didn't really know when hockey was going to come back. And so my commitments for those two teams were kind of shelved. And I thought that seemed like the best time to kind of jump into another book project. The thing about writing a book is that you spend, you know, months, sometimes years just working on it by yourself and it doesn't see the the outside world. So it's kind of difficult to balance wanting to do outward facing projects like stories and articles that live online versus a book project. But I figured if I'm not going to be writing for the Kings or the Wolves anytime soon, uh, I could spend that time working on the book. And so it actually was, it was a much more enjoyable process because I kind of approached it really casually at first. Uh, I just started writing for myself in in roughly around June, I didn't contact the publisher yet because I wanted to see if it was something I wanted to like commit to. And so after doing it for a couple months, just on my own, uh, we I reached out to the publisher in August and we initiated a contract. And then you know the next six months were spent like getting the book organized and ready for for first submission. But uh, but yeah, like I always knew it would be called the second period. I think as soon as the first book came out in 2018, I'm like, okay, well, let's do the second one, and we're gonna call it the second period. And they're like. The first book just came out. We need to kind of, uh, you know, focus on this for a few years, but definitely, you know, there's enough hockey history to sustain more volumes. So they were interested in the second, but now, as you mentioned, James, obviously as new books eventually get sold from the first one, uh, they will have a different, uh, the cover art has been updated slightly, but they'll have that extra subtitle that says the first period. So I can say right now that I'm uh, confidently locked into a third period. I have to complete regulation, uh, whether or not there's overtime, sudden death, shootouts, that remains to be seen, but I have to finish regulation. That's a must. Now, for you, here's the cool thing, too, with doing these books. There has been a lot of things that have happened since you dropped the first book mm -hmm. that is kind of fresh, but obviously, um, you know, could give you more topics to write about. The undertones are there to pull from the past to play into the, the present. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we talk about, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, there's things you can draw from that. Obviously, uh, the truth and reconciliation here in Canada, there's stuff you can draw from that from the past to the present and, you know, make everything kind of go cohesively together, which would tie in beautifully to your books and the way you style things. Um, 
for you, do you look at anything that is current and say, hey, this is going to be great to add to the book, you know, maybe in two or three, you know, iterations of whatever, wherever you go, whether it's the third period, overtime, shootout, you know, sudden death, you know, you know, quick tales from the sudden death tale mm-hmm. tale book or whatever. But I mean, you know, you look at those things and, and how much you can draw from the inspiration of today mm-hmm. from the past. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that there's some examples, you know, in the new book that kind of speak to that. I think, you know, what happened last year, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement when the NHL resumed, you know, Matt Dumba giving that speech, you know, at center ice before the Oilers and Blackhawks, you know, uh, took to that first game of the playing round. I didn't I didn't have that for the August 1st date. But when I did a story about Matt Dumba's first NHL game, I talked about the speech that he made and, you know, how, you know, he and the you know, continues to battle against systemic racism inside and outside the hockey rink. And so I thought that was important given everything that had happened in 2020 uh, that, you know, that was a, a teachable moment where knowing that there's younger people who read this book as well, that I think as a, as a historian, I have an obligation to try to educate. Um, you know, I also have a story in there about, uh, you know, Fred Sasaskamus, who was, you know, one of the first indigenous players to play in the league, you know, and, and even before I think we saw some of the horrific uh, news coming out in the last year, year or so about, you know, the residential schools and the graves that they've been uncovering. Uh, you know, I had a story in there because it was, I think, a monumental moment for Indigenous peoples in the NHL. But also you can't tell his story without talking about the fact that he went to a residential school. Right. And I think as we were going through the editing process, that's when we started to find, you know, the graves that were being uncovered. And I think it became even more you know, timely and important to include, you know, something about residential schools in there. Obviously, you know, you there's not a lot of nuance in 350 words, but I think it would be difficult and irresponsible to talk about him just going to the NHL without kind of touching on, you know, the, the you know, how he got there. And I yeah. think how that has affected other Indigenous peoples across Canada. But, you know, outside of those two that you mentioned, I think, you know, when I look at what's happening right now, I think of, you know, there was a, I had a, a big tweet this week about, uh, you know, the three years ago, the Sabres named Jack Eichel captain. And now I think like for the third book, like that would be a good day to have in the third book, because probably yeah. by then Jack Eichel's definitely playing on a different team. Hopefully he's had the surgery that he wants to have. Hopefully he's back to being the player that, you know, we all know that he could be, but that's kind of interesting where, you know, that something's happening right now. And then in three years time, when the new book comes out, we'll probably have a lot more pieces to put together and you can use a moment like Jack Eichel getting the C on you know October second, two thousand eighteen, and then here's all the things that happened in the three years after that, right? Including yeah. the the current situation that we're going with, and then hopefully you know maybe there's a happier ending uh, in a few years from now. I just love like that that whole Jack Eichel thing. All, all I can think of when you tweeted that out was I tweeted it back at you. I said, and then what happened? I'm just yeah. I, I so in three years that would be perfect to add to the book. Are there any stories where or any dates where you have? say today, for example, October 4th, you're looking at two different stories that happened on the same day and you're going, I can only include one of these. So how would you decide between the two? Is it personal preference? Do you flip a coin? Do you let somebody else pick? What's that process? Yeah, no, it it usually comes down to personal preference to try to find, I think, what is the, well, not even personal preference, like what is the most, uh, I think, interesting narrative that we can kind of pull out for that day? Um, like I'm thinking back to actually I have the book in front of me, which is handy because I actually, you know, you're in the moment when you're writing this, you know, everything you're writing. And then after you take a step back, you forget what you wrote about. So today I was going to ask you if you could remember what today's is. And it's obviously, uh, I couldn't. So I remember <laughs> yours Jersey. Yeah. So today in the book was uh, Ray Bork's Jersey retirement in 2001. And actually when I was originally writing the book, 
Um, my notes I had, I was going to do today was also the day that the Oilers traded Mark Messier to the Rangers in 91. And, um, I decided not to do that one because I have a story about when the Rangers won the cup in 94, it obviously Messier was a part of that team. I don't go too much into Messier in that one, but I, I wanted to use the Ray Bork story because there's a cool story about, you know, when Phil Esposito's number was retired, um, at the time Bork was wearing, you know, his number seven, because Esposito said, don't worry about it. Like you can keep wearing my, my number. And then uh, when when Esposito went out onto the ice, you know Ray Bork took that number seven off his off his shoulders, and he was wearing a number seventy seven, and that's obviously the number that he wore for the rest of his career, and the number that they retired, you know, twenty years ago today. So like I wanted to include that because it ties back, you know, to the Esposito retirement. So things like that, where I think that might be more interesting than just we know that Messier went to the Rangers, we know obviously what he did in New York. Uh, breaking the, like the longest at the time, you know, Stanley Cup drought in, in league history. Now the Leafs have that, uh, but that's a story right. for another day. So that's kind of the what goes into it, right? You have all these different moments you can pick. I mean, today's another example where, you know, Yarmer Jager signed with the Flames in 2017. That obviously didn't work out. He's still playing. So maybe that's a story for the third period where we could talk about, you know, it was a fun moment for Flames fans. You know, it didn't really work out, I think, the way everybody thought. But here Yager is like he's what 47 years old and he's still playing and, and lighting the lamp. So kind of a cool way to kind of bookend his story that even though it didn't work out in his last you know stint in the NHL, uh, he's still he's still playing. I think in 19, it was either 1928 or 1938, BBC News put out their news report and it literally said, There is no news today. <laughs> Do you have a day like that where you're trying to find a story and you're thinking nothing happened today? I I'm really really scratching at the bottom of the barrel here or is it pretty much all i can find something yeah i would say there's always something it obviously gets slim pickings you know in the dog days of summer yeah. late late july and august i mean you know to the one of the points that james made earlier with with the nhl having played you know the playoffs in august and september um it's it's a little more interesting now looking back mm-hmm. because you know you can now find meaningful nhl games in august and well into september right whereas previously you know, you might have the World Cup of Hockey or the Summit Series in September, but there was no NHL games being had. And so um, I was careful not to overload the book with stuff that was happening when I was writing it. There's a story in there for sure about, you know, play resuming in August. Uh, I've got to mention about Stamkos coming back and scoring a goal on that shift after being off, like being on the shelf for seven months. Um, but I tried not to focus too much on that. So I think, you know, in three years from now, and you've got the, even the most recent playoffs where you had hockey being played further into July, you know, than ever before. Um, you can kind of look at maybe those slow news days and say, well, here's a really cool thing that happened in an NHL game. Um, so I think fortunately there's always something to happen that happens in hockey history, whether it's a transaction or now games that are being played or goals that were being scored. Um, so I think there's never any shortage of material. It's just having to come up with a, you know, a different way to approach it. Right. Cause obviously on paper transaction in August, nothing happens other than that player put pen to paper. Right. Mm-hmm. But you can still use that to say, you know, here's what led up to that transaction or that signing. And then here's what happened because as a historian, you have the gift of hindsight. You can say that this trade did not work out well, or it actually worked out really well. And it, you know, revived this person's career. Right. Now I want to ask you, obviously uh, you go through the writing cycle. So you look at comedians, comedians have like the, you know, they put together an act. They go on the road, they take it out, they stretch it out, they make it work for you, for writing a book. So now you've done two. So what is the breathing period between books? Obviously, it was 2018 for the last one, 2021 now. So are we expecting something in 2024, 2025? Or are you going to stretch it a little bit more? 
And is that process, you know, when you do that, do you like having that much space to be able to, you know, kind of not only get the juices flowing, but get back into the swing of wanting to write? Or would you rather be able to go, you know, and keep it going? I mean, I think as somebody who, you know, has a full-time job that's not uh, that's not in hockey, you definitely need that break because I think you wouldn't very you wouldn't be very productive at work or at home if you were just writing back-to-back books. I think if it was my job to write Hockey 365 books, which would be awesome, um, we could keep it going all year round because, you know, that would be great. Yep. But I do, I do think that after going through like an intensive eight-month writing process and then like an intensive four to five month editing process, you need some downtime. Um, and then logistically we want to be able to sell as many copies of this book as we can. So I think you need at least a good year to two years where that's the focus. Um, obviously now it's kind of nice cause you could package them both together, you know, especially as the holidays approach that, you know, two of them together. Um, but I would definitely say that probably in 2023, you know, um, at some point or maybe, you know, early 2024, I'll probably be getting, uh, no, not yeah, 2022. I would say I would start writing the next book. And then, you know, in three years time by 2024, that's probably when we'd have it come out again. Ideally, if we're kind of sticking with those timelines. So just to, to put it together for people that are following along for this, would you grab stories from 2022 and like just start stockpiling and just having certain things, just like not really firmly writing, but just having ideas, like an idea board to build up to. So when it becomes time to actually start doing this, it's very easy to just go, hey, I have this for this date, this for that date, and just start going like that. So I didn't do that for the second one, but I'm doing that right now. So um, when I started the second book, I went back and I had the spreadsheet of all the stories I used for the first book. And then I had to like obviously find stories that I didn't use. And so went down the list. And then once I kind of identified all the stories for that month, I started the research process. But now as I'm kind of watching what's happening this season and, you know, seeing what tweets of mine do the best, um, I kind of, I'm flagging those now so that when I go back and look at this in two years, hopefully I have an expansive list of like, here's all the topics you could cover that haven't been covered in the first two books. And then you can kind of just dive into the research uh, process as well. Well, no, that's awesome. Well, Mike, I always want to say thank you for giving us your time. I know you got to get it here in a couple of moments. So where can everybody get the book? Where is it available? And why are people not ordering it right this second <laughs> when you're talking about it? Yeah. So you can get it wherever you like to buy books. Um, so if you have a favorite, you know, independent bookseller in town, you can contact them and they'll bring it in for you if they don't have it. Um, but obviously it's available at, uh, at chapters or Indigo in Canada uh, and available on Amazon. Again, depending on where you're listening from, it'll be available officially in the States. Uh, later this month on Amazon or uh, Barnes and Nobles or wherever you get books from in the States. Well, we're looking forward to having you back on closer to Christmas time, pump it up a little bit more. Obviously we love having you on, had you on through the first run, now the second run, and obviously you're a Leafs fan. So we can all be uh, sad together as they go through <laughs> another season here. <laughs> I've got some good, there's some fun uplifting Leaf stories in the book. So we can, we can talk about those for the holidays to get people excited about some Leafs history. There's a couple doozies, but otherwise I, I, I made sure to not, uh, you know, not rain on the parade too much. There's not no such thing. Coming. No <laughs> such thing as an uplifting Leaf story. Just watch the documentary. It's uplifting until the final five minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. At least at least you knew it was coming though, right? So yeah, I guess. Guys, I haven't watched the whole thing yet. Yeah. They lose, James. They lose. <laughs> Spoiler alert. All right. Well, Mike, thank you very much for uh, spending some time with us tonight, my friend. We'll have you on, like I said, again, close to the holidays. But uh yeah, 
make sure you pick up your copy of Hockey 365, the second period by Mike Camino. My pleasure, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks, Mike. All right, so that was Mike Camino, obviously the author of Hockey 365, the second period. Make sure you go pick up your copy. Support one of Twitter's best accounts. Obviously, he's got something coming out each and every single day to keep you entertained. But now, back to us, my friend. So, we got a couple of announcements to make here, right quick. And I'm going to catch you on your toes, my friend. We spoke about this. We are going to be trying to get this show to be going twice a week when the Leaf season starts. We want to be able to bring you our thoughts on the Leaf games and things going on around the NHL. Um, we are going to have some cool guests next Monday or Tuesday. Haven't got to nail it down yet. A lot of people are wondering what they're doing for Thanksgiving as of yet. Mm. But we are looking to have a Leafs preview show with some of your favorite guests um, that have been on this show. You'll know them when they get named. We'll announce them all as they come and get firmed up. But it's going to be absolutely awesome. Going to be bananas. One that I can drop. He is an up-and-coming writer, and you will love to have him on. He's also a co-host of Sticks in the Six podcast. Alex Hobson will be on next week for 15 to 20 minutes just to drop some knowledge on the Leafs. He's good with the prospects, so we're going to check that out and make sure we pump his tires. Good to have him on. And then, of course, like we said, usual suspects you see come through all the time here. A couple of Leaf reporters and hopefully one giant name. But we'll see if this happens. But ladies oh, and gentlemen. I cannot wait to talk to Kyle Dubas next Monday. Why'd you have to spoil it? <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we're trying this live thing. So obviously we're joking and jiving on the fly. So we're going to try this thing out, see how it goes, see how it rolls. But uh, this is James. That is Josh. We are Offside Hockey Talk. And this is Offside Hockey Talk, where hockey comes to talk. <laughs> <laughs>